With every CBD product claiming to do something different, it's nearly impossible to decide what's best for you. Lazarus Naturals pioneered the farm-to-front-door model of transparency where they handle each step of the production process to ensure quality, potency, and consistency. Scannable labels allow you to see the test results of your hemp batch so you can be confident in the safety and quality. Visit LazarusNaturals.com today. Lazarus Naturals, committed to improving your life as well as the world around you. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota. You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Hello, and welcome to Cool People Did Cool Stuff, the only history podcast. I'm your host, Margaret Kiljoy. And with me today is the one and only Ian Johnson. Hey, Magpie. I'm great. I'm excited to be here, you know, on mic for a change. It's nice. Yeah. Um, best known to listeners of this podcast as the person I mention at the start of every episode because he's also our audio engineer. Sophie is our producer. Hi, Sophie. Hello, friends. And our audio engineer is Ian. Hi, Ian. Hi. Um, oh, you can say hi back. <laughs> I can this say is hi so back. Cool. Yeah. I know. There I have know. been so many times where I wanted to like edit in myself saying hi back, and I'm like, that's maybe too much. It's not. No, I you don't should. Know. You totally yeah. should. <laughs> maybe I'll just start doing it every now and then. All right. On Woman wrote our theme music. This week is a special week. We did an episode a couple weeks ago about the pacifist burglars who exposed COINTELPRO which they did by breaking into an FBI office while Muhammad Ali was fighting the fight of the century so that everyone would be distracted. My friend Ian said, Hey, Magpie, what about an episode about Muhammad Ali? So that's what we're doing. Yay! <laughs> yeah, I guess you kind of, usually, you know, here's the great reveal to the, um, to the guest, but you already knew what it was going to be. We're going off script. I know, I know. All right, so this week, we're going to talk about the greatest, with a capital G, Muhammad fucking Ali. The man who declared he was the greatest is a self-appointed nickname and fucking proved it. Um, He is the three-time heavyweight champion of the world. He is a gold medal winner. He is a devout Muslim. He was a humanitarian. He was an anti-war activist who threw his life and career into the fire rather than do some racist imperialism on behalf of the U.S. government. He was an icon of black pride for his refusal of the sort of humility that is racistly expected of black men. He was an icon of the anti-war movement. He was a shit talker. He was a poet. He was sometimes called the first rapper. And you're going to be shocked to learn that I want to spend as much time on the context that he's coming out of as I do on his biography. (laughs) Because you can listen to his biography a lot of places. But the context, that's what's often missing really shaking up the format here and you'll be shocked to know that he's morally complex (laughs) as basically every human is and i actually i really like what his moral complexity does for this story and shows like i actually okay the this wasn't a like all of a sudden near the end, you learn this person's terrible or something. This was instead like, oh, this person was always engaging in complicated things as like well as he possibly could. It's really fucking interesting. I really, I knew the like, I mean, this is usually the case, right? I know the sort of Cliff Notes version of various people and then learn more about them. That's the job I do for a living. But I really liked this one. So thanks for, thanks for uh, putting this one in front of me. Yeah. What do you, where, where were you coming from when you were like, you know, let's do Muhammad Ali? Um, well, when we were talking about the fight of the century and kind of the, the relationship between Joe Frazier and Muhammad Ali and, you know, the cultural 
I guess, impact surrounding that and, you know, their differences. Uh, I just thought that that dynamic was really interesting. And I, I was curious to dive a little deeper into that and kind of the the cultural significance underpinning all of that. Yeah. Yeah. There's, God, there's so much there. There's yeah. so much. I got to some of it, but, you know. All right. So the context that I want to talk about, um, I want to talk a bit about black athletes in the U.S. and boxers in particular and how they relate to U.S. race relations. And by U.S. race relations, of course, I mean white supremacy. That has been mm. the dominant form of race relations in this country since before it was a country. <laughs> and I want to talk about the Nation of Islam because for a lot of his career, Muhammad Ali was a member of that particular and not well understood religion, which I had also, you know, I knew the, the big picture notes about the Nation of Islam. So... I don't know enough or have enough time in an episode that isn't focused on it to talk anywhere near the whole breadth of how black people have interacted with sports in the U.S., right? Right. Um, It's an incredibly complicated thing. The short of it, as I understand, there's been historically very few avenues towards fame and financial success available to a lot of black people in this country because of the aforementioned white supremacy. And music and sports top that list. Things that put people on pedestals, but also, also then keep people out of systemic power. And... A lot of people have done really cool shit with that platform regardless. So one of the more recent examples that I think happened in people's living memories, so probably people know this, are the strikes of 2020. Mm -hmm. When in August of 2020, even I, who doesn't follow sports famously, knew about these and was excited about them. We were talking off mic beforehand about the fact that I don't know anything about sports. Um, (laughs) You knew, you knew enough. You knew enough. Yeah. I've actually, I've written, I've ghostwritten two romance novels that sports characters are the main characters of them. You know Ooh. Shaq was. Yeah. I was yeah, like, no. fuck yeah, Magpie. Yeah. Lakers I also great. know the average height of a quarterback in the NFL because I had to make a character be the average height of a quarterback in the NFL, which is five foot Helpful ten. concept. I know. It's shorter than I expected. Yeah. Anyway. So... In August of that year, in 2020, cops tried to murder this guy named Jacob Blake in Kenosha. Allegedly tried to murder? I don't know if I have to legally say allegedly, but um, cops, you know, shot a guy a bunch of times because they wanted him to be dead. The word that I have for that is murder. Cops have a different word. Fuck the cops. They keep murdering black people. So the the Milwaukee Bucks, which is a a basketball team, which I've learned, uh um, they went on strike. They refused to leave their locker rooms. Their opponents, Orlando, the Orlando Magic, didn't accept the forfeiture. Like, as far as I understand, they could have won by default, but they didn't because they were cool also, right? Yes. Soon, teams across the NBA, the WNBA, baseball, hockey, soccer, tennis, and football all went on strike with black players and white players and coaches taking the knee despite Republican lawmakers throwing a fit and threatening to fund, cut everyone's funding. But I want to talk more about boxing and i think i think we've mentioned jack johnson the galveston giant on the show before but i don't remember when i don't remember what episode and i don't think we talked about him in great detail so i'm gonna talk about him you remember okay. i don't i don't remember i don't remember we talked about him. which episode either yeah. yeah jack was born in 1878 he was born to two formerly enslaved people in galveston texas or at least he grew up in galveston texas He actually grew up personally, he grew up without experiencing much segregation. In his neighborhood, everyone was poor as fuck and stuck together. And his friend group was at least white as black. He had a fairly progressive viewpoint on that white and black people could just get along. He moved to New York City when he was 16. He started boxing at the gym that he got hired as a janitor for, right? And he was like, I need a job. And they're like, be a janitor. And he was like, cool, can I box too? And they're like, sure. Nice. Yeah. And he was really fucking good at it. He wound up back in Texas in 1898. He had his debut fight where he knocked a guy out. Prize fighting, however, was illegal in Texas. So he went to jail for fighting. And he went to jail with another boxer, an older Jewish guy who trained him literally in the cell. Spectators would come and watch them. Yeah, they were in jail for like 28 days or something. And they would box in the cell and then like spectators would show up. And I can't... like. Maybe it's like some like such an old timey jail that the spectators are people off the street. I don't. Yeah, really know. that's like you're. They're watching them train in the jail cell. <laughs> that's, yeah. Wow. 
wow okay it's yeah. some like count of monte cristo type shit that's cool <laughs> but yeah so he becomes a very good boxer by 1903 johnson won the black heavyweight championship which was different than the world heavyweight championship because of racism he wanted more he wanted the world heavyweight championship regardless of race no black man had ever held it because no black man was ever allowed to fight for it because there was a problem. The problem was racism. I think I already spoiled that one. Um, it's usually the problem when we're, yeah, actually you could just leave it at that. <laughs> the problem. Yeah. It's usually just the problem. Yeah. Every time. <laughs> yeah. The reigning champion, his name was James J. Jeffries, which for astute observer observers will notice that that is too many J initials. Yeah. Just triple J. That's a lot. Yeah. Yeah. His litter of parents had raised him a racist and Jeffrey's straight up retired rather than fight Jack Johnson, who also has two J initials, which is like an acceptable number of J's. I think. Yeah. You two know? is good. Three you're pushing it. Yeah. I feel like one is ideal. I think that you're doing really well yourself. <laughs> um, good number of J's. So, Triple J retires, and this white Canadian dude named Tommy Burns, he winds up with the belt, despite having no J's anywhere in either of his names. And he had a really cool thing going for him, Tommy Burns, which is that he wasn't a piece of shit racist. Okay. Uh, yeah. He was a, a German-Canadian from a poor-as-fuck family. Literally five of his siblings died before they became adults. Oh, my God. Yeah. He was the heavyweight champion. He was five foot seven and 175 pounds. For modern context, modern boxing heavyweight starts at 200 pounds. Um, overall, the size of boxers has increased over the past century, or at least of heavyweights. And he once said, quote, I will defend my title against all comers, none barred. By this, I mean white, black, Mexican, Indian, or any other nationality. I propose to be the champion of the world, not the white or the Canadian or the American. If I am not the best man in the heavyweight division, I don't want the title. That's so I badass. Like I like that. Yeah. 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 So they fought in 1908. After 14 rounds, Burns conceded. He conceded for two reasons. One, because he was physically too fucked up to continue. <laughs> and two, because people were afraid of the race riots that would come if the crowd saw a black man beat a white man even further. Um, Got it. Yeah. So Jack Johnson, the black boxer with the proper number of J initials, became the first black man to hold the title of heavyweight champion of the world. And he gave a shout out to Tommy Burns for being the first white man to actually give a black man a chance to win the title. And white people flipped out. This is going to be really surprising. No one's going to have seen this coming. Um, white people as a category seem to have a problem with not being the best at everything. I think that they're afraid that other people will treat them the way that they've been treating people. Yeah. Um, hmm. Interesting. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like... Oh, is it a problem to be the minority in the U.S.? Why would it be a problem? How do you treat minorities? What? <laughs> so something had to be done, right? Because this atrocious thing has happened. The, the white man has been proven to not be inherently the best at everything. Oh, no. What are we going to do? Fortunately, ugh, there was this guy who I used to think was cool, but turns out to be a piece of shit. Oh, you ever no. heard of the writer Jack London? Yes. I've I've heard the yeah. name. I'm not super Motherfucking familiar. Call of the Wild. Yeah. Ah, yeah. okay. Yes, yeah. yes. He was a huge celebrity at his time in a way that novelists don't really pull off today because there's like movies so people don't have to read books as much, right? Um, right? They have like choices. And I always thought Jack London was probably cool. I never really read his books, but I was like passively aware of the fact that he was a socialist. He was into animal rights. He was a big old racist piece of shit. Ah. More than a product of his time racist. And there's like, I mean, are we look 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 at this man's face? Oh yeah, yeah. he looks like he says slurs. Yeah. Oh, oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That man says slurs. That's true. Um, <laughs> and there's like, like, as a matter of fact, yes. <laughs> yeah. I read so many fucking papers of people trying to defend him and his racism. Oh um, no. Because he like also occasionally said vaguely okay things about race. I was looking for like a redemption arc, like, oh, he must have changed. Late. No, he just, he just was inconsistent. But you know what? If something is like 
by meeting cereal and it's like 50% deer shit, you know? I'm not like, oh, I like the 50% that's not deer shit. Like, no, I just throw away the fucking bowl. <laughs> so he wrote essays. Jack London, our guy, he wrote essays about the yellow peril of Asian people moving into the U.S. He didn't coin the phrase yellow peril. That predates him. He coined a different phrase, the great white hope. Ah, okay. He started writing in papers, the Twitter of the era, that what we needed was the great white hope to beat Jack Johnson. He Mm. said, quote, Jim Jeffries must now emerge from his alfalfa farm and remove that golden smile from Jack Johnson's face. Jeff, it's up to you. The white man must be rescued. Oh, God. God. (laughs) Yeah. I I mean, I don't want to disrespect our listeners by actually vomiting into the microphone, but just just imagine. Yeah. (laughs) Just the fragility of it all. It's like, A, first of all. White people, you that you had enough help. You don't need to save yeah. You don't need. You don't need help. It's oh, that's just ridiculous. Oh my god. Yeah. Uh, so just keep going. Just keep going. Yeah. So the piece of shit racist Jim Jeffries was like, "Yeah, I'll do it. I'll wipe that smirk off of his face." You know. And this was the first fight of the century. It actually happens in the same century as the second fight of the century. Jack was not subtle about his motives. In case anyone thinks I'm like reading a little bit too much into it, he said, quote, I am going into this fight for the sole purpose of proving that a white man is better than a Negro. As compared to Jack, who was like, not like, like he wasn't like, I'm doing this for the black man, which would have been entirely chill if he had been. Right. He just was like, let the best man win. Like that's his literal quote is right. let the it's best a true man competitor. win. Yeah. Yeah. Bookies gave the odds of 10 to 7 in favor of Jeffries, the racist white guy. I can't keep their names apart because their names sound the same to me because that's the way my brain works and their names start with the same letter. Yeah. Um, so they gave 10 to 7 odds in favor of Jeffries, which makes no fucking sense. The guy hadn't fought in years. He like, yeah, they favored the outer shape white guy over the black man in his prime. Uh, so and Jack, he's, the, he's the world champion at this time, right? Jack Johnson. Yeah. 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 So they're like, yeah, the other guy who hasn't fought in like three years is definitely going to beat the world champion. Okay, sure. Look at the okay. color of his skin. How could he not win? <laughs> yeah. It's like, how can he lose? Yeah. Can't go wrong. Just bet on the white guy. God. Um, so Jack beat the shit out of Jim and eventually Jim side threw in the towel in the 14th round. So not only was Jack the, and Jack was not only the first person to ever knock down Jim in a fight, but Jack did it twice that night. Oh, so nice. he's, and the boxing promoter John Sullivan, who I think I think he's the promoter. I didn't like follow this side quest, but I think he's the guy who basically made boxing a like a thing of national attention, right? John Sullivan put it plainly: the fight of the century is over, and a black man is the undisputed champion of the world. So white people rioted all over the country. Oh, of course. Okay. Um, yeah, of course they did. They, they can't not, apparently. Jack Johnson, now the heavyweight champion of the world, he just wants people to fucking get along and be, he wants to be treated right. He used his prize money to open a desegregated nightclub run by his white wife. He got arrested for having a white wife. Basically, he was arrested for, quote, transporting her because she was probably also a sex worker, but she was like legitimately his wife. And so... In this way, anti-sex work laws were used to further racism and misogyny. But did you know that we carefully, we don't carefully screen our ads against misogyny and those things, do we? Because they're randomly generated. Did you know that the other thing he did with his money is buy stuff? Just Mm, like you, the listener, can also use your prize money from the prize of work to buy stuff from ads. How'd I do? Yeah. That was pretty oh, yeah. good. I liked Thanks. it. Thanks. Here's some ads. Me. Focus Features presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this. I ain't no spy girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. On the big screen. I want to be remembered. 
for just being me. Amy Winehouse, Back to Black, directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R, under 17, not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th. With every CBD product claiming to do something different, it's nearly impossible to decide what's best for you. Lazarus Naturals pioneered the farm-to-front-door model of transparency where they handle each step of the production process to ensure quality, potency, and consistency. Scannable labels allow you to see the test results of your hemp batch so you can be confident in the safety and quality. Visit LazarusNaturals.com today. Lazarus Naturals, committed to improving your life as well as the world around you. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota. This is it, your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global. Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. And we're back. We're talking about Jack Johnson, the heavyweight champion of the world in the, you know, 19 aughts and 1910s for a little while. Jack Johnson himself was criticized at the time because he also didn't want to fight black people and give them a chance at the title because history is complicated and doesn't give us easy heroes all the time. But the next black boxer he fought was Jim Johnson, who had recently fought Joe Jeanette a bunch of times. Because All these J names, it's kind of crazy. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know whether it was like a rule that you couldn't compete if you didn't have a JJ name. I'm not entirely sure. But yeah, so boxing has a racist past and these racialized conflicts are going to play heavily into Muhammad Ali's life. And there's going to be another fight of the century with oddly similar presentation of racial dynamics that we'll talk about. There's another class, there's a couple of other classic moments in black sports as relate to larger race politics that I don't have time to go into, but some of them are when black athletes beat the Nazi master race in Berlin in 1936, mm -hmm. only to have to come back in segregated units to Germany to fight and beat the Nazis. One racist country helping fight another even more racist country. Then you have 1968, when two black runners, Tommy Smith and John Carlos, won the gold and bronze in the 200 meter in the Olympics. They raised their fist in the black power salute during the national anthem, standing on the podium without shoes to represent black poverty. The silver medalist was a white Australian named Peter Norman. He wore a badge in solidarity with the other two. And... Yeah, I don't know. All three faced a ton of backlash for the action and were all three of them were ostracized by their nation's sports communities. They had been inspired, of course, by the courageous career at risking actions of a black athlete from before them, Muhammad Ali, from the year nice. before them, actually. Now let's talk about the other big piece of context, the Nation of Islam. You familiar with the Nation of Islam? Um, Again, I think like more Cliff Notes version. I know... And I may be wrong mm -hmm. about this, but I believe they were a slightly more like militant wing of, of Islam. And I know they attract a lot of people in the African-American community. I know a lot of people converted to the to Nation of Islam. Yeah. So that's like kind of the extent of what I know. They're definitely yeah. not without like, I would say, for lack of a better word, controversy. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> Matt, the, the next line in Margaret's script literally says, the Nation of Islam is one of the most controversial organizations I can think of. <laughs> like, I know a lot of people would like hire them for security for things and mm -hmm. stuff like that. Like, that's, you oh, know, that that's the gist of my knowledge. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. you'd say they're controversial, Margaret? I would. I would say that they're one of the most controversial organizations I can think of. Oh, good. And they have... There's like some interesting good mixed in with them, but I'll let what I'm aware of them speak for itself. Nation of Islam is a black religious organization that considers itself part of Islam, but that favor isn't returned by the rest of the Muslim world. Oh, okay. 
Yeah, they they are theologically distinct. There's this really sketchy guy named Wallace Fard Muhammad. It's possible, depending on who you ask, he might have been a a god among men, the savior. Uh, it's also possible that he was a con man. Mm. It's possible, but unlikely, that he was white. It's possible, but unlikely, that he was black. He was a door-to-door salesman who, in 1930, started a religion among black people in, in Detroit. He started off mostly talking about the Bible to his new followers uh, because the Bible resonated with people, but soon he started talking about Islam. In the four years he ran the organization, he built it from the ground up to about 8,000 members. In four years? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, no, it's an impressive thing that he did. And it is a really interesting mix of really cool and really shitty. I mean, whatever, of course I'm, well, I will have my biases in this, but I'm, you know, will do my best. The basic ideas behind it were self-improvement and community improvement for black people. It didn't start off as a black nationalist organization, but instead an apolitical, cultural, economic, and religious one. They believed in black economic self-determination, that people should start businesses and take care of the community, that people should eat healthy, they should avoid drugs and alcohol, they should eat mostly vegetarian, eat mostly organic, they should avoid foods associated with the black south, like collard greens and cornbread, that men should wear suits and ties, women must dress modestly and not in pants, covering your head was optional but encouraged, no sex before marriage, compulsory monogamous heterosexuality, and so Wallace Fard Muhammad didn't really like being a figurehead of it all. He appointed others and then receded into the background. And so Wallace, no one knows who the fuck he was. He claims a lot of stuff. The FBI claims a lot of other stuff. To the Nation of Islam, he is a literal god, a prophet equal to or greater than Muhammad, which is a big part of why the rest of Islam doesn't like um, or doesn't. That makes sense. Yeah. Okay. To the FBI, who spent decades researching his background, or just as likely, maybe more likely, fabricating shit to tear down his movement, the FBI claimed a lot of shit about him. They claimed he was a white Spanish European, a native Hawaiian, a Turkish-born agent of the Nazi party who was swindling people by charging them to convert to Islam. Uh, I don't have any reason to trust anything the FBI says, um, or anything that Wallace Fard Muhammad says. The current scholarly take seems to be that the most reliable thing is that he's most likely he's from Afghanistan, which doesn't mean that is white is bullshit. And the same take has him in prison in San Quentin in California in the 1920s, where it's possible that if this is the case, that he learned about black nationalist Islam from a career criminal and con man named Lucius Lehman, who was a, a black nationalist uh, Muslim in prison in California in the 1910s and 20s. Okay. The other suggested inspiration besides Lucius is a group called the Moorish Science Temple of America, which was founded in 1913. Wallace had some run-ins with the law. Most likely before the group started, like he was probably this guy who was in jail, um, whose name was Ford, I believe, at that time. But he certainly had run-ins with the law afterwards. In 1932, one of the Nation of Islam people, uh, and I actually don't think it's fair to put this on Nation of Islam, to be clear. In 1932, one of the Nation of Islam people in Detroit sacrificed another guy, his tenant, ritualistically to Allah on an altar stone, I think in his basement. Yikes. Yeah. This was like, this is how the Nation of Islam, like, it's kind of like the first satanic panic in a lot of ways that I've ever, well, I guess witch hunts. Okay, there's always been satanic panics. Was that kind of the thing that like vaulted them into a little more notoriety, like this this ritualistic (laughs) sacrifice i am i'm aware of it as the it is the first time i started it is the first time i have been able to note they started getting national attention um and yeah they got a lot of negative attention about a voodoo cult in detroit and i Mm. there's a scholarly paper that talks about how i mean that's just racism right like they're they weren't practicing voodoo like this was just a like oh black people scary religion right it didn't help that five years later, another Nation of Islam man would be arrested for planning to boil his wife and daughter alive. So Wallace dips out of Detroit for a while after the sacrifice. I read it basically as the police were like, hey, get out of here, all right? And so like, kind of set up more in Chicago. In 1934, the police raided their University of Islam. 
and arrested Fard. And after that, um, after he, I don't think he stayed in jail. He just disappears. He handed over control of the organization to a successor and was never heard from again. Obviously, there are conspiracies, conspiracies about this. Personally, I just assume that being a living god got too hot and he wanted to take his money and go. But I don't know. He handed over control of the organization to a black man named Elijah Muhammad, who led the nation from 1934 to 1975 until his death. And he's heavily involved in the rest of the story. He's the guy who gives Muhammad Ali his name. Okay. So, what do they believe? They consider themselves to be a branch of Islam, but their beliefs are considered heretical to mainstream Islamic faiths, or would be if they're in the context of being Islam, you know? Both Sunni and Shiite Islam rely on five pillars. They phrase these two pillars differently, or, sorry, the two organizations, the two religions phrase the five pillars differently. But basically, these five pillars are the Muslim creed, that is declaring that there is no God but God and that Muhammad was a messenger of God, prayer, charity to the poor, fasting during the month of Ramadan, and the pilgrimage to Mecca for those who are able. Those are the five pillars. The Nation of Islam doesn't share these five pillars. They believe some other stuff. I, I think this is worth covering. I almost took this chunk out because it sounds ridiculous, but the thing that all religions sound ridiculous if you just like lay out what they believe, you know? Right. And so I, I overall, I think my current theory is that we should judge religions based not on their beliefs, but based on one, how its institutions behave and two, how its practitioners behave. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How that's like practiced in, in the world in everyday life. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like, you know, you can take any major religion and you can see the institutions of it behaving a certain way and the practitioners behaving a different way, you know? And right. like, yeah, that's completely unrelated to whether or not people think that you can like talk to snakes or drink wine that is blood or, you know, whatever like belief system. Right. So, and I, I think that their beliefs, the reason I ended up keeping this in, I think their beliefs are really worth understanding in the context of 1960s race relations and specifically the actions of Muhammad Ali, Malcolm X, and some of the other folks. The Nation of Islam says that there have been a bunch of mortal gods, and they are all black men named Allah. The last of these mortal gods was their founder, the mysterious Fard guy. Elijah Muhammad, the guy who takes over, he's just the divine messenger. The, the first of these gods made a group called the Tribe of Shabazz, from whom all people of color are descended, and this is ruled over by 24 scientists. White people were made by one of these scientists who went rogue, named Jakob, about 6,600 years ago. Um, white people were created through selective breeding, basically eugenics, on the Greek island of Patmos. And it took 600 years, so Jakob didn't survive to see the end of this experiment, but he lived for 150 years and got it in motion. And because of the way that white people were created, the violence of the eugenics, White people came out evil, uh, lacking empathy and inner divinity. Moses tried to tame these new barbaric people for a while, but then gave up and blew up 300 of them with dynamite. So then Jesus showed up and tried once again to teach and civilize the white people, but it didn't stick either. My mind is a little blown. I don't know. Okay. Some of that is, I don't know. Some of that doesn't sound too far-fetched. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I know. That's like, that's... That's what's so interesting about Nation of Islam. And like, you're like, well, I get where it's coming from, you know? Right. Yeah. So this is where the term white devil comes from. Okay. A belief that white people are literally the devil and have no inner divinity. And the, the belief was that these devils would rule the earth for 6,000 years. But around the year 1914, that tide had turned and the era of white supremacy would come to an end. And that part I'm entirely cool with. In this theology, some white people tried to become black again, and in the process, they became gorillas. Quote, all of the monkey family are from this 2,000-year history of the white race in Europe, which is an interesting inversion of the traditional racist trope. Um, right. Yeah, I was just going to say that. That's, yeah, yeah. that is interesting. I know, and I can't figure out. Later, Muhammad Ali is going to call his, his black opponent, Joe Frazier, a gorilla. And I don't think it's related to this, but it's like an interesting. Right. Yeah. I did know about that part. I was going to bring yeah. that up when we got there, but we'll, we'll, we'll talk about it when we get there. Yeah. Um, I feel bad. I'm like leading with like, I think Muhammad Ali is really fucking cool. I want to be like really clear about that when I talk about all this context. 
It just so happens that whenever you do the context for this show, it feels like it's behind the bastards. I know. I know. <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, you definitely lead up to the good. Yeah. Well, and it's like, I wouldn't do Nation of Islam as like a pure bastard either, right? Like, No, 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 no. It definitely seems like there's multiple sides yeah. of things. It's almost like there's nuance in, <laughs> in yeah. life, you know? <sighs> so the Nation of Islam, they believe that knowledge of the self is the path to divinity and that basically all people, uh, actual people, not white people, are themselves gods or part of God. And there is no afterlife, that the material world is everything, and that one could develop one's own psychic powers. Dinosaurs are a hoax created by white people. Islam is the original religion. Arabic is the original language. A UFO called the mother plane, the mothership, or the wheel is going to show up and transport all of the righteous up into it and then bomb everyone else on Earth. That's the the, the beliefs in a nutshell. Um, okay. The beliefs aren't what matter. What they do as an institution matters and as individuals. My rough takeaway is that what they do as an institution is lots of bad stuff with some good empowerment mixed in. And then what they do as individuals is like a lot more balanced. Mm, okay. Their institutional promotion of anti-Semitism is not good. Their intense patriarchy and anti-queer politics aren't good. And their interest in black separatism and black supremacy put them in bed with some interesting people. In 1961, they invited the leader of the American Nazi Party to speak alongside their famed spokesman, Malcolm X, because both groups agreed, separate the races. Mm, Okay, yeah, that's not good. Yeah, And then Elijah Muhammad himself was taking a ton of money from this white supremacist oil baron and used it to buy himself a bunch of houses. That's also not good. Yeah. Its members crop up doing cool shit all the time. The only time I think we've brought them up so far on the show that I can remember off the top of my head, it was a Nation of Islam librarian who got radical books into the hands of Chacha Jimenez, the founder of the Young Lords. A lot of their recruiting happened in prisons, and they built infrastructure within prison for black and brown empowerment. Like, a lot of them got jobs as librarians so they could get rad books to people, and that's fucking cool. And the teachings that they had about black self-reliance, about pan-Africanism, about black pride, about economic self-determination, there's... The shit was game-changing when they started doing it. And they needed a way to talk about white supremacy. All white people being the devil is not the most subtle or nuanced way, but, I don't know, like, just... Look at what white people have done to the world. They're clearly it gets violent the conversation started, at least. Yeah. Know. Yeah, exactly. It is a reasonable conclusion to have reached with the evidence that is available to them, I will say. Right. Right. <laughs> yeah. And then I'm going to talk about one of the more famous Nation of Islam people. But first, I'm going to talk about sweet, sweet deals. <laughs> <laughs> Just stuff. Fill your life with stuff. Do you have a room and it's not full of stuff? You could do something about that. Uh, Literal stuffing. We are brought to you by stuffing. Vegan stuffing. Okay. Nice. Yeah. Everybody can enjoy it. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, God. But if it's gluten-free and vegan, then no one will enjoy it. (laughs) All right. Here's some ads. Me. Focus Features presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this. I ain't no Spice Girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. On the big screen. I want to be remembered. For just being me. Amy Winehouse. Back to Black. Directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R. Under 17. Not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th. With every CBD product claiming to do something different, it's nearly impossible to decide what's best for you. Lazarus Naturals pioneered the farm-to-front-door model of transparency where they handle each step of the production process to ensure quality, potency, and consistency. Scannable labels allow you to see the test results of your hemp batch so you can be confident in the safety and quality. Visit LazarusNaturals.com today. Lazarus Naturals, committed to improving your life as well as the world around you. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota. This is it, your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. 
Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. And we're back. We're talking about Malcolm X. I am reasonably sure he'll get his own week at some point. But he was a mentor and a friend to Muhammad Ali and also kind of presages a lot of the kind of arcs that a lot of Nation of Islam people, including Muhammad Ali, are going to have. So I want to talk about him. Also because he's really fucking cool. I was, I was going to be like, yeah, and the coolness factor. Yeah, no, he's just... Yes. He's really fucking cool. So Malcolm X is this fucking amazingly charismatic speaker and thinker. He is incredibly polarizing of a figure, especially during his day. Now everything gets like whitewashed, and so he's like less polarizing, you know? Mm -hmm. I think he's rad. He was first and foremost for the liberation of black people, and his opinions about what would get them there changed over time, but they didn't waver from militancy. He openly discussed how his politics countered that of the nonviolent but also rad Martin Luther King Jr. Like basically Malcolm X was like, Look, you better give in to Martin and the pacifists or you'll be dealing with us. And we're not pacifists. And that is a good position of strength to argue from. Yeah, that's pretty badass. I like that. Yeah. Yeah. And I like that he was conscious about it. I had always knew of this dynamic, but I didn't specifically know that it was con- that he was very aware of it. Yeah. And he like didn't see eye to eye with Martin Luther King uh, Jr., but he, they, they did talk. They, did, they were aware that they were on the same side. You know? Right. There's that mutual respect there, I'm sure. Yeah. He was also a black nationalist, and what that meant to him seems to have had two different forms. For most of his political career, he was in the Nation of Islam. He referred to himself as being used by Elijah Muhammad during this time. And during this time, he was a black separatist as well as a nationalist, and he advocated the teachings of the Nation of Islam. And he also changed his last name to X to remove uh, his slave name, the name he'd inherited from a legacy of slavers to something that signified how his heritage and even his name had been stolen from him. And a lot of people within the Nation of Islam took the last name X. Um, obviously, Malcolm X is the most famous of these people. Mm-hmm. Then Malcolm X became disillusioned with the nation uh, around 1964 or so. Particularly, he became disillusioned with Elijah Muhammad. He became disillusioned for two major reasons that I know of. First, Malcolm X is a militant, right? And he believes in building black power. Uh, some cops raided a temple, a Nation of Islam temple in L.A., and they shot seven Muslims and they killed one of them. And Malcolm was like, all right, it's fucking on, right? This is what we're going to do. And Elijah Muhammad was like, no, let's like talk with politicians and do really boring stuff instead. So Malcolm X wasn't excited about that. There was another thing that disillusioned him. Elijah Muhammad's a fucking pedophile. Oh, no. Uh, the nation and a hypocrite. The nation preaches abstinence before marriage. Elijah admitted to sleeping with the word here would be raped, but his admission is to sleeping to with. So I'll be specific about that. Eight different teenagers who worked as secretaries under him, impregnating seven of them. Oh my god! Oh my god! Yeah, yeah. Oof. Power corrupts people, and the people who are attracted to power often start off corrupt. So Malcolm finds out and accuses of them of it. And Elijah, the reason that we know Elijah admitted it is because he defended himself and his defense was like, well, lots of biblical prophets fucked kids. It's like, fine, right? Oh, oh my God. Yeah. <sighs> yeah. And it was this willingness to stand up to the authoritarian leader slash prophet that got Malcolm X killed. In 1964, he left the nation of Islam. He was still a black nationalist and a Muslim, but he wasn't a, a cultist, essentially, from this context. He converted to Sunni Islam and he went on a pilgrimage and he saw Muslims of every race coming together. And this like changed him. And he talked a lot about how he Mm. was like, I shared plates with like blonde haired, blue eyed Muslims. And we were like all together in Islam. 
he started to reject the term black Muslim and started to refer to himself as a Muslim who was black. This is not this is not because he like doesn't care about blackness still as his first and foremost thing, just like specifically the context of how black and Muslim relate to each other. And that famous photo of 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 him holding a, a rifle, right? Standing by a window and like looking out the window, looking all like badass and sketchy, you know? Mm-hmm. That's him looking for Nation of Islam assassins who are trying to come kill him. Uh, that's not him like standing uh, down the cops or like white supremacy. That is him defending himself from the Nation of Islam. So he leaves and he tries to convince his young friend Muhammad Ali to join him in leaving the Nation of Islam, but it didn't work. Muhammad Ali later referred to not listening to Malcolm as one of the biggest regrets of his life. He has a whole like little chapter in one of his later books that I read, um, The Soul of a Butterfly, talking about how he wasn't ready to go with Malcolm because he had just really joined, but he wished he had, and that would have, you know. Anyway, so the Nation of Islam starts making their desire to kill Malcolm X really fucking plain. Uh, they run statements in their paper that are basically like, we're going to assassinate Malcolm X. They'll like show like political cartoons that are just like Malcolm X decapitated. Very subtle. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Then on February 21st, 1965, he was speaking to a crowd of 400 people in Manhattan when three men from the Nation of Islam rushed the stage with a sawed-off shotgun and handguns. He was shot like 11 times. He died shortly after arrival at the hospital. But there wasn't justice for his killing. Um, Three people were thrown in prison, three people from the Nation of Islam. Two of them were innocent. One of them, Talmadge Hare, confessed. But he was like, look, these other two guys, they weren't with me. And they were like, well, who was with you? And he's like, man, I'm not going to fucking tell you who's with me. I'm not a fucking snitch. I'm just telling you it's not these two guys. Right. All three get convicted. The other two maintain their innocence. Talmadge and the two innocent men, all three of them, while they were in prison, left the Nation of Islam and converted to Sunni Islam. The two innocent ones were later exonerated in 2021 when it was proven that the FBI and the NYPD intentionally held withheld evidence. And the guilty guy regrets what he did. It was also proven that COINTELPRO was heavily involved in creating the tension between Malcolm and Elijah. An FBI infiltrator met with the assassin the night before. The cops showed up at the scene of the murder with their like hands in their pockets and they like didn't give a shit, you know? So if one were to ask who killed Malcolm X, I, you could go with what the poet James Baldwin had to say. He told white reporters in France, you did it. It is because of you, the men that created this white supremacy, that this man is dead. You are not guilty, but you did it. Your mills, your cities, your rape of a continent started this. In more practical terms, I assume it was the FBI playing the nation of Islam to assassinate him. There's a wrongful death suit filed by his kids currently against the CIA, the FBI, and the NYPD. But I think part of why he had to die from the Nation of Islam and from the government's point of view is that he was on this page of uniting people right near his death. Right. His black, yeah, like his black nationalism turned from segregation to what black nationalism is mostly understood as starting from the late 60s, which is self-determination for black people. He didn't stop hating white supremacy. He didn't stop having that be his like main enemy. I think it was in 1964, someone was like, oh, are you a socialist? And he's like, look, I'm for whatever frees black people. Like, that's what I'm fucking about, you know? Yeah. They viewed him as a threat because he was getting everybody to realize that, you know, we're stronger together when we're all, you know, fighting against a common oppressor (laughs) instead of, you know, infighting and trying to divide ourselves. Yeah. I can see how some people would feel threatened by that notion. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not like a big men of history kind of girl, but it's like really hard when I read about the 1960s. It's hard not to think what could have happened if Malcolm X and MLK had gotten to like live a while longer. Right. I think Um, about that a lot too. Yeah. Because Martin Luther King is becoming more and more radical near his death and Malcolm X stays just as radical, but becomes more, more tempered. You know? Mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't fucking know. What do you think would have happened? Uh, I honestly feel like that the outcome would have probably been inevitable with both of them just because uh, they were a threat to the establishment for a lot of people. But I don't know. I mean, I think they could, probably could have got a lot more shit done before yeah. they were gone. But 
Yeah, I don't know. I think I mean I think that's kind of a, a one of the what ifs of history that we'll never really know. But yeah, yeah totally. it's interesting. Yeah, yeah, and it's like it's like half I want them to have lived longer just because like, well, because they didn't deserve to die. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly, <laughs> exactly. Like, I'm just like fucking mad, you know? Yeah. Um, it's like 20 years before I was born, but I'm fucking mad. So. To close out on the Nation of Islam, to show their arc, because I think their arc matters. Throughout the late 60s and early 70s, they were in conflict sometimes with the Black Panthers and also other Black Muslim organizations. But it's like, I'll read this, right? I, you know, I read like, oh, they were in conflict with Black Panthers and things like that, right? And sometimes like actual conflict. But then there's also like, uh, Muhammad Ali was a, you know, was in Nation of Islam and he was not a Black Panther. But like later, we're going to talk about how a lot of the Black Panthers liked him, you know, and shit like that, right? So it's still mm-hmm. messy, but there was conflict. And then in 1975, Elijah Muhammad died. His son, who he didn't like, like uh, Elijah didn't really like his kid at this point because they were in conflict all the time. His son takes over and his son had like actually left Nation of Islam several times over ideological stuff. His son converts it to Sunni Islam. Fard is no longer a god. There's no longer a UFO. White people are no longer devils made by a rogue scientist named Jakob. And his new teaching around this is honestly really good. The issue, as he referred to it, is mental whiteness, not light-skinned people. And as someone who believes that the creation of the social construct of whiteness is one of the worst things to ever happen in human history, that seems like a fair way to put it. Yeah, I, I, that makes a lot of sense. I, and I, I like that that framing of it. Yeah. That kind of like you know, mindset and hatred and, and oppressing it. That's, that's taught, you know, that's, that's learned. That's not people are just aren't born one day and are like, Oh yeah. You know, thinking that, that, that's, that came from somewhere. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, totally. And so, so, uh, Elijah's son, who's for some reason's name, I didn't write into the script cause I terrible. Uh, cause I didn't expect him to be in it for more than like a paragraph when I first started writing it. But his son converts the whole organization towards Sunni Islam and against racial separatism. Uh, he renamed it the World Community of Islam in the West and later the American Society of Muslims. And this group kicks around for about a decade um, before basically the leader was like, you know what? You should just go join your local mosque. There's already Muslim organizations. They're called mosques. Um, but in 1977, two years after most of the organization converts to Sunni Islam, this guy named Louis Farrakhan, who's still around, he split off from the new version and restarted it as the Nation of Islam, complete with things like, I was in the UFO. And bonus points. I bet you were thinking, Ian, you were thinking to yourself before we started recording, there's no way L. Ron Hubbard is going to come up, right? This isn't oh, the bastards. No. Oh, no. <laughs> Shut the fuck up. No way. <laughs> oh. Yeah. Oh God, we both just got so triggered. I yeah, like so <laughs> triggered, and we can't even talk about it. But we're that triggered. Just know, just know that Ian and I are fucking triggered right now. Yeah. Oh, so, God. so they all get into Dianetics no! because of Farrakhan. No. Oh, this just took a really bad turn. Okay, and that's the that's the shit the Scientologists are into, and specifically. Farrakhan is like, white people go join Scientology, black people join Nation of Islam, we'll all do Dianetics. Oh, God. They're still around. The Southern Poverty Law Center considers them a hate group. The Anti-Defamation League takes issue with how constantly Louis Farrakhan talks about how all the evil Jews who run the world. To be fair, fair gets a question mark here, Farrakhan insists that he's only against the evil Jews who rule the world, not the working class Jews, and he doesn't seem to understand why this conspiracy shit is anti-Semitism. But uh, on a more positive, I don't know, um, Bala Shabazz, <laughs> Malcolm like, X's I'm daughter. Like, you, you dropped Dianetics in this episode. I'm, I'm like, oh. I'm like, how do I, how do I move on from that? Magpie? Yeah, it's like, how do we recover from this? <laughs> it's, it's fucking, uh, <laughs> by the fact that this is not what most of the people of Nation of Islam did. Most of them became Sunni Muslim and stayed 
consistently against white supremacy and for black power and didn't get into Dianetics. That's the that's the positive. Okay. That made and me then, feel a little bit better. Malcolm X's daughter, Kabaya Shabazz, she probably tried, she might have tried to kill Farrakhan for killing her father. She maintains her innocence, but you know the old saying, we'd support her even if she is innocent. And she might have been set up for this by the FBI. An FBI informant tried to seduce her and was in on the plot to kill Farrakhan. And that's, this all brings us to Muhammad Ali, who we'll talk about on Wednesday. <laughs> All right. No, we set the stage. This is good. This is yeah, good. yeah. And I think that that arc stuff is like is is what really interests me. Is the like because there's really interesting shit that they're doing about just black empowerment. You know, I mm-hmm. like, and it's like really easy to like point at the like really specific bad stuff, right? Um, and it's like harder to quantify like economic improvement in areas and things like that you know yeah but yeah uh so that's what you can listen to us talk about what you actually tuned in for today (laughs) oh god (laughs) no no this is good the context is always important that's what makes the show great it's the context you know yeah thanks because like i I I've paid a lot of attention to how people talk about Muhammad Ali and it and most of it is this like fairy tale version is this mm-hmm. like right simple story of a kid who becomes the the greatest and yeah. that's true you know but like there's that's so just one fucking part much of more the story. to it yeah 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 so tune in on Wednesday and in the meantime Ian you got anything to plug uh just cool zone media. Uh, this wonderful show that I get to work on every week. I guess you're already listening to it, so I don't need to plug it. But um, <laughs> yeah, you know, just uh, our wonderful team at Cool Zone Media. We do a lot of cool stuff. We have some more cool stuff coming up on the way later this year. And uh, just a good time. I-, I love I love working with this crew. I'm so glad you. I, I don't know. I really like this crew, too. Yeah. <laughs> just keeping us humble i i respect it yeah. sophie you got anything to plug yeah i'm gonna plug plug once again my my dear 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 friend and your dear friend and ian's dear friend jamie loftus's uh book raw dog that is about hot dogs which was my favorite <laughs> edit note you've ever given me magpie uh that uh is is, is available for pre-order now and comes out may 23rd I worry that fewer people go out and check it out because I insist that we point out that it's about hot dogs. Maybe we're all doing Jamie a disservice. It's yeah, totally it's, about sex. It's about hot dogs, but it's also like really cool. There's like some really good labor labor stuff in there as well. Um, it's, it's, you know, definitely we should not just, just let people meat. find out what the book is about when yeah. it comes out. How about that? How about just that? maintain the mystery. Yeah. Yeah. It's really fair enough. good. Um, but yeah, that's what I got. And, you know, at Cool Zone Media. All right. We will see you all Wednesday. Baller. Bye. Bye. Cool People Who Did Cool Stuff is a production of Cool Zone Media. For more podcasts from Cool Zone Media, visit our website, coolzonemedia.com, or check us out on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. With every CBD product claiming to do something different, it's nearly impossible to decide what's best for you. Lazarus Naturals pioneered the farm-to-front-door model of transparency where they handle each step of the production process to ensure quality, potency, and consistency. Scannable labels allow you to see the test results of your hemp batch so you can be confident in the safety and quality. Visit LazarusNaturals.com today. Lazarus Naturals, committed to improving your life as well as the world around you. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited-time 2% cashback on purchases. And pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. 
Hey guys, back at the playground again, huh? Yep. You know what this playground could use? A wine country. Heck yeah! And some waves, so we could go surfing. Oh, yeah. <laughs> ah, love that! A redwood forest would be cool. I'm in! Ah, ski slopes. Let's do it! Um, can a girl go shopping? Yeah, baby! Wait! Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com.